University Baptist Church is a faith community striving to think critically, live creatively, and love continually in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. We gather on Sunday mornings at 5775 Highland Road between Lee Drive and Kenilworth Parkland. Visit ubc-br.org or at ubcbr on Facebook for more information. When I was a kid, one of our favorite games we played was a game called Forbidden Bridge. It was a total Indiana Jones uh, ripoff game. Essentially, you had to move your figure across the game board by rolling the dice, but if the dice landed on the statue head, then you had to push the statue head down, which began to shake the drawbridge. Basically, the game was nearly impossible to win because the bridge would shake so violently that you couldn't actually move across it. I think we ended up using uh, the game as a scene for playing G.I. Joe's or Star Wars. The game just was not fair. Do you ever feel like you're playing a game of life? Do you ever feel like you are having the pieces of your life are moving on a board based on the roll of the dice? What about when things happen like Hurricane Ida? When life just doesn't seem to be fair? We're in our series, Life, a conversation on the meaning of existence from the book of Ecclesiastes. And we're taking a look at some more challenging aspects of life, examining the purpose behind all of this. And for this, we take a look at the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 4, verse 1. The teacher states, Again, I looked and saw all the oppression that had taken place under the sun. I saw the tears of the oppressed, and they had no comforter. Power was on the side of their oppressors, and they have no comforter. And I declared that the dead who already died are happier than the living who are still alive. But better than both is the one who has never been born, who has not seen the evil that is done under the sun. And I saw that all the toil and all the achievements spring from one person's envy of another. This too is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. The teacher of Ecclesiastes lays out a plain plan of truth. Life isn't fair. People work hard and the boss gets the credit. People work hard and make a living just to be ripped off by someone. Good people are oppressed by the powerful and the rich. And I think many of us, if not most of us, can throw our hands and shout an amen in agreement with the teacher of Ecclesiastes because life isn't fair. Have you ever wondered why people suffer? Why people die? Why bad things happen to good people? Why everyone around us seems to be successful and yet sometimes we fail? Why do we always not feel special? Why do we always have people that disappoint us in life? Why do we not get that job, that offer, that position that we wanted? Why do we have that serious illness? When researching for this morning's conversation, I thought back to the many times in my life that life wasn't fair. And some of these are at least 20 years old. I was the hardest working person on our football team. And you know how I know this? I actually received both the coaches and the senior award. And yet I always had to fight to get the starting position, often coming in as the backup. My high school crush wasn't interested in me. So when I asked her on the date, she said no. But in all seriousness, in my, in my adult life, I can think of the times I've been turned down for jobs that I was well overqualified for. I've had church members who have made it their mission to make my life and the church's life more difficult. Nobody here at this church, of course, though. And then I think about all the other things. Family members who've experienced 
medical setbacks and loss, the loss of, of children in our family. And I'm sure if, if I opened up this microphone here, everyone could come up and for, for the next couple of days, we could talk about all the ways that life isn't fair. And then we can see the many other unfair things that happen in our world, the, the corporate scoundrel that that goes unpunished for his actions that ruin countless financially, the child that develops leukemia and dies, the the kind couple that falls victims to the scam artist that swindles away their life savings. And one of the very first lessons we learn as children is that life isn't fair, and yet most of us cling to this belief that people generally get what they deserve. And this belief influences our expectations and causes us to view the world in in a series of transactions. We put a dollar in the machine, we expect to get a soda. We work hard, we expect to get the promotion. We treat others with kindness, we expect them to do it in returns. But these expectations aren't always necessarily unreasonable, but they often go unmet. Sometimes we put a dollar in the machine and it jams. We work hard and the promotion goes to someone else. You're kind to others and they're turning around and they're just a, a jerk to you. And when there's a gap between what is and what we believe should be, we tend to get angry. I don't deserve this, is what we think. But dwelling on unfairness doesn't actually make life more unfair. It does, however, make it more difficult to rationale and to keep us focused on the problems instead of the solution. And this is a very real human experience. We struggle with very real human emotions and disappointment, such as as grief and anger and resentment, and frustration. And the more extreme cases of unfairness, we want revenge for what has been done, or at least justice that should be served. And life's unfairness can lead us to bitterness and and cynicism. It can generate fear and dread as we think about the future. And when we don't get what we want, we think we deserve what others do. And then we become envious, and bitter, and grumble and dissatisfied, and we hold grudges. Do you remember that story from the Bible of a man named Job? You might actually have thought his name was Job, but it's Job. Here's a guy that the Bible says was, was blameless. He was happy, he was healthy, he was wealthy, he had a big family, he had lots of kids, he had lots of farming land, he had a town of, of livestock, and then in one day, he lost all of it the livestock, the crops, and even his children. And even the unimaginable grief that he's dealing with, he develops this horrible skin condition that the only relief he can get is by cutting open the blisters on his body. The book opens by telling us that Job was blameless and upright, that he feared God and shunned evil, that he was the greatest man among all the people of the East. So why would God let this happen. Have you ever stopped and considered where we get our concept of fairness from a theological perspective? Does God give good things to good people? Is that even a biblical concept? The Bible has a lot of stories and a lot of words and wisdom about such matters, but what do they actually say? Well, Jesus tells us in the gospel that God causes the sun to rise on both the good and the evil, to send rain on both the righteous and the unrighteous. But even when you listen to the so many times that Jesus is teaching, we see that God recognizes just how unfair life can truly be. 
Listen to some of the ways that Jesus teaches on the human experience of pain and disappointment and unfairness. The thief comes not for, for life, but to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that you might have life, that you might have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives life to his sheep. I've told you these things so that you might have peace, because in this world you will find trouble. But take heart, for I have overcome the world. Do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's troubles are enough unto themselves. Do unto others as you would like them to do to you. This is in the essence of how all the law and the prophets are summed up. What do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burden, for I am gentle and humble at heart. And you will find rest for your soul, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has given me the power to preach good news to the poor, to recover sight to the blind, to, to give freedom to the captive and set the prisoner free. Blessed are the poor, the hungry, those who weep, the merciful, the pure in heart, the peacemaker. So what is fairness? Where do we get our concept of what is fair and unfair? Scientists have actually studied the development of fairness within human babies, and they found that infants as young as nine months old react quite strongly and negatively to perceived unfairness. Their research has concluded that fairness is a concept that is deeply rooted in the human psyche. And we think that good things should happen to, quote, good people. We want to believe that everyone should play by the same rules. And unless you're winning, most of life will seem are just horribly unfair to you. Many of us tend to look at life in one of two ways. The first is life is fair. I'd have everything because I work so hard. The second was looking that life was fair. I'd have everything because I'm such a good person. I wish life played by the rules that, that I wish life would play by. I'm sure most of us do as well. In fact, we're so good at at how things should be going and until we face unfairness in our life and then all of a sudden everything begins to implode. And then we can't figure out why such things happen to us and those we care for. As one person put it, that's business for, for, for life. Someone's trying to kill you, that job you like. Someone's trying to replace that, your job with a computer program. That, that girlfriend, that boyfriend, that high-paying job, that Nobel Prize, everyone wants it. Someone else is going after the same things. We live in a world of competition, whether we realize it or not. The achievements we make, someone else is also trying to achieve. And it's painful for us to believe such things. And of course, which is why we're constantly assuring uh, each other of the opposite. Just do your best. You're the only competition the funny thing is, these are just platitudes that are, are pushing us to try harder with the realization that life is difficult. Unfortunately, we do not live in a world in which everyone has to kill each other to prosper. The blessing of modern civilization is there is an abundance of opportunities and, and, and enough for all of us to get by, even if we don't compete directly. So much of fairness and unfairness in life is all out of our hands and out of our control. Just think about the circle of life. Take, for example, the Thompson gazelle in the African Serengeti. 
they're the primary source of food. Their primary source of food is grass. On the other hand, they are the primary source of food for just about every predator on the continent. Hyenas, lions, cheetahs, crocodiles, lepers, human hunters, and poachers. The gazelle didn't choose this. Doesn't wake up one morning and think, you know what, I've had enough of this dry grass, I'm going to try some meat today. I love how one person put it. This life is so unfair that we are being brought into this life without our consent, as well as die without asking our permission before taking us away. As harsh as it sounds, sometimes our understanding of fairness is based in self-interest. Fair is a state of mind, and most often an unhealthy state of mind. People like to invent moral authority. It's why we have referees in sports games and judges in courtrooms. We have an innate sense of right and wrong. We expect the world to comply. Our parents tell us this. Our teachers teach this. But reality is indifferent. You studied hard but failed the exam. You worked hard but didn't get the promotion. You love her, but she won't return your phone calls. You think about that job that you really want, but you didn't get it. Now consider our response to those, quote, unfair things. We love to hate our bosses and parents and politicians. Their, their judgment was unfair and, and stupid because they don't agree with us. And they should, because I unquestionably are the greatest authority of everything and how it should happen in this world. It, it's the true is truth there that we have to begin to understand that that not all authority figures are flawed. Not all are evil and self-serving monsters trying to get their own pockets filled. Most of them are trying their best, just like we are, to make it in this world. And maybe they know things that we don't, like, say, our company will go bust if they don't make some sort of unpopular decision, or maybe they have a different priority than us. And let's say they're thinking long-term growth versus short-term happiness. However, they make us feel the actions are a cosmic judgment on our being. That's just a byproduct of being alive. More often than we care to admit, our idea of fairness isn't actually obtainable. It's really just a cloak of wishful thinking. As Gandalf, the great wizard of Middle-earth, put it, many that live deserve death. Many that die deserve life. Can you give that to them? Do not be too eager to deal out death and judgment. Even the very wise cannot see all ends. Can you imagine how insane life would be if we all got what we, quote, thought was fair? No one would ever be turned down for a date because nobody would want to be unfair to that person. All companies would, would be thriving and never fire anybody except somebody who's just completely evil. Relationships would end with both partners dying simultaneously. Raindrops would fall on only the bad people. So life doesn't play by the rules that we like. Life is going to be unfair at times. And for some, more often than we want. So do we just accept it? Do we just get over it and move on knowing that unfairness is coming our way? Well, no. Look at what the teacher says in verse 5. Fools fold their hands and ruin themselves. Better one handful with tranquility than two handfuls with toil and chasing after the wind. The teacher makes it abundantly clear that life is not fair. Injustice and oppression and disappointment and on and on. 
But eventually the teacher draws the conclusion that while life isn't fair, you have the choice of what you do about it. He says, you can fold your hands in abject defeatism and come to ruin, or you can fight for something better, even if you have one hand tied behind your back. We can accept that unfairness will happen, but we don't equate acceptance with endorsement, nor do we ignore the unfairness in our life. And just because life doesn't mean, uh, life isn't fair, doesn't mean that you should give up and stop asking these difficult questions. Life is a never-ending race of learning, and when bad things happen to us, it may just be something that's bad that's happening to us. It might be a chance to learn something new about ourselves, about the ways of this world, about how people function, which propels us into a new level of understanding. So I'd like for us to consider here in closing just a few practical ways to control our response to unfairness. The first thing that we can do is to learn to have faith that God's heart is for and God's presence is with the marginalized and the oppressed. Easier said than done, right? We've all heard those cliche sayings. God will never give you more than you can handle. God has a purpose of what you're going through. It's not that these things aren't true. Just never say them to someone who has experienced suffering. One of the favorite passages in the Gospel of Matthew goes like this. Jesus went throughout all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. What Matthew conveys about Jesus is God's identity and drive is love. It's not this general fondness for humanity, but a deep abiding love for all people. The word used here is my favorite Greek word. It's spalognon, which means from the bowels. Which what the author is trying to convey is that Jesus had a compassion that came from the depth of his existence. And if you flip back just a couple chapters to see the evidence of this, in, in chapter 9 of Matthew alone, Jesus heals a paralyzed man. He blesses friends of those who lowered their paralyzed friend before Jesus. He loved the Pharisees enough to tell them that their religiosity was blinding them from God's true calling. He called a despicable tax collector to follow him. He healed a woman who was suffering for 12 years from a disease. He resurrected a 12-year-old girl to life. He restores the hope to her parents. He gives sight to two men who are blind. He gives voice back to a man who had been crippled by demons. And he loves the Pharisees enough to rebuke them by showing that God is more interested in transforming lives through love than by religious rules. And that's just in one chapter alone. In one chapter we see that Jesus' compassion is for those who are hurting and suffering. And this is not a fleeting tear or a temporary gash of pain for those facing difficulty. This was a deeply rooted lament and hurt and mourning for God's children who are facing the deep chasm of darkness. And Jesus was not just moved to tears, but he was moved to action. He healed wounds, he mended brokenness, he brought transformative compassion in the darkest places of the human soul. He stood against the social constructs that perpetuated hurt and brokenness, even giving his life for such a cause. 
And the Gospels give us a glimpse into the depth and breadth of God's compassion and care for the hurting and broken and the people who are facing suffering in this world. So yes, God's heart is for and God's presence is with the marginalized and the oppressed and those that are facing the unfair circumstances of this world. And the second thing that, that I want us to see this morning is that we can do to control our response to fairness is to recognize just how unfair this world is beyond us. The fact that you're listening to this means that you have food and access to shelter and clothing and access to a computer and internet, which is approximately means that you have some edge over some people around the world who just have one thought in mind today, where am I going to get my food? In our world, the poor are getting poor. The immigrants are struggling to find decent jobs. There's school systems that are failing our children. Spouses are abusing their, their wives. Structures of corruption in business and government. Some people are born into privilege, born into a family of money and influence, sent to the best schools, afforded the best opportunities that they can dream of. But others are born in crushing poverty where survival is a daily challenge. No money, no influence, few, if any, opportunities. And yet, in our state alone, Louisiana ranks 50th in upward mobility. That's not 50th as in first. It means we are last in the projection of upward mobility of those that are facing suffering in this state. Yet, neither child of privilege nor child of disadvantage did anything to bring this fortune or lack thereof. How fair is it that a child who did nothing to merit their good fortune receive so much? How fair is it that a child that did nothing to deserve misfortune receive so little? How fair is it? It's not fair. It's not fair at all. And there are even worse situations. People today facing politically driven genocide and terrorism. Did you know that today there are more people in bonded slavery than there were during the transatlantic slave trade? Sex trafficking and human trafficking are very real. And sometimes, if not often, recognizing just how much off the circumstances are of other people brings a greater reality of fairness into our lives. I don't want you to think that you need to demean or look past the unfairness you are facing because many of us are facing very real unfair circumstances of abuse and neglect and discrimination and sexism and racism and homophobia and ageism and on and on. But sometimes the unfairness we perceive in our lives is based on maybe an inaccurate perception of our self-interest. And as we turn to God and faith, recognizing that God is with us, as we broaden our worldview to see the struggles of others through faith, God can equip us to be prepared to face unfairness. People have overcome poverty and drug addiction and incarceration and abuse and divorce and mental illness and victimization and virtually every challenge known to humankind. Our world, world is full of examples of uneducated, mentally and physically challenged people born into war-torn, impoverished backgrounds who could have complained about life and its unfairness, but who instead chose a different path. They chose to overcome the odds to leave and lead a better world. Regardless of the challenges they faced, they had the character to choose contribution over complaint, overcome over defeatism. 
And admitting and accepting that life isn't unfair will help us anticipate and not be shocked when we do experience unfairness in life. We may be disappointed that life experiences are unfair, but we have a choice to make of how we respond to it. And when I, I wouldn't go as far as what the Apostle James said when he put in his letter that we should consider it pure joy when we face trials of many kind. However, I can attest that when he writes that such times develops perseverance, which creates maturity and completeness in our lives so we can face such things in the future. God gives us the wisdom and the guidance to face such hardships. Have you ever uh, been sailing before? There was a a lake in North Carolina that I like to rent uh, a one-man sailboat. Something about getting out on the water and being by yourself that's uh, amazingly uh, calming and, and serene. And I remember one time I set out on the sailboat and the winds carried me to the other side of the lake. And the wind was pushing so hard against the boat that the sail was just pretty much pulling me back to shore no matter what I tried. And to make matters worse, there was a storm coming. And finally, another sailor saw my distress and instructed me of how to shift the sail to utilize the power of the wind. See, when you're, when you're out on a sailboat and the wind shifts, you don't fight the wind. You change your sails. You will never defeat the wind. All you can do is work in harmony with the wind to accomplish your goals. See, we can never fully change the unfairness of our life in this world. But we can adjust to leverage the unfairness to seek justice. As one person put it, life is not fair, but we can choose to put fair humans, even if life, we can choose to be fair humans, even if life and other humans choose to be unfair to us. As one quips of of the ages, it's better to light a candle than to curse the darkness. We may feel better in a brief time of cursing the darkness, but cursing the darkness generates no light. We must light a candle to do that. Fighting doesn't bring the light. Cursing doesn't bring the light. It's the candle that brings light into this world. As theologian and mystic Richard Rohr argues that while many people nowadays associate the word justice with retribution and penal systems, Jesus and the prophets clearly Uh, practice something else, something we now call restorative justice. Rohr writes, Jesus never punished anybody. He undercut the basis for all violent, exclusionary, and punitive behavior. He became the forgiving victim so that we could stop creating victims. Punishment relies on enforcement and compliance, but it does not change the heart or the soul. Jesus always held out for changing the heart. So may we turn to Jesus this morning, knowing that in faith, he will transform our hearts, filling us with hope in times of unfairness, giving us the strength to follow him into something better, and opening our eyes to the plight of others, and giving us the courage to act to change their circumstances. Let's enter into a time of reflection and response this morning.